Welcome to the Truth For Today podcast with your host, Joseph Franta, international minister, speaker, and Bible school instructor. Stay tuned for today's episode. Welcome to Truth For Today. I'm your host, Joseph David Franta of Joseph Franta Ministries, and we're talking about Bible prophecy. Uh, we're in our second session on this, and I'm just, just going to do a little review first. We're talking about the stone which God laid in Zion, and we're going to go back to Isaiah 28. Oh, yeah, Isaiah 28, and then we're going to go to Matthew 21. In Isaiah 28, verse 16, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation. The foundation of what? Of the kingdom of God. Firmly placed. And that word firmly is well laid. Well laid or firmly placed. He who believes in it, in this foundation, which I'm laying in Zion, will not be disturbed or in a hurry or moved in any way by what's going on on the earth today. It's all prophesied. I could go, I, I could spend hours and maybe we will. Maybe we'll keep going in this. Now I want to go to Matthew 21 to what Jesus said about himself being the stone. In verse 42 of Matthew uh, 21, Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures? You know, that'd be a good question to ask a lot of people out there today. Did you never read in the scriptures? Did you never pay attention to what God has written in the Bible through his inspired writers and authors? Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, this is amazing because if you've done any building, and I have done some building in the past, when you, when you put a corner together on a wall, you have a bedrock stone that you use as a cornerstone. And you take all your measurements from that stone. You run your plumb lines vertical from that stone. And all your other horizontal measurements come from that one stone. This stone was well laid in Zion. And God's building his kingdom on this rock of Jesus Christ, on this stone, this chief cornerstone. And it's very imperative that everybody understands that if you build your house upon a rock of Jesus Christ, when the winds come and the floods come and the waves come, your house is going to stand. 
because it's built on a firm foundation that cannot be shaken or moved. I'm talking about it in a spiritual sense, but you know what? A lot of people don't have any foundation for their life whatsoever. Their life is not built on any kind of truth whatsoever. It's, it's built on fallacies, falsehoods, theories, but not on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. I want to read this again because I think you need to hear it again. We all do. Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the people who have built society on a false foundation? And those empires never stand forever. They eventually fall and fade away and pass away and, and then the next one takes their place. But we are serving the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord strong and mighty, and his kingdom will never pass away. That's what it says in Daniel chapter two. Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone? This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. And Jesus goes on and he describes the seriousness of not building on the stone. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. He's talking to the religious leaders. And he who falls on this stone, he who falls on this stone, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's really good to repent and be broken before God. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. In other words, you'll see that you're nothing without Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said it. In the Gospel of John, without me, you can do nothing. And other places. And he who falls on this stone in repentance will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls on judgment day, it will scatter him like dust. Everybody's going to meet the stone, the rock of our salvation at one point in time or another. And those who come to Christ now will be broken with contrition for their sins and forgiven and cleansed and made right with God, given a gift of righteousness, the ability to stand in God's presence as if sin never existed. But those that reject God's offer of salvation through his stone, the Lord Jesus Christ, it says right there in Jesus' own words, But on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. In other words, his life will be destroyed. And that's not God's will. God's will is that all men come to the knowledge of the truth. 
and be saved from this wicked and perverse world that we live in. That's his desire. And I, I just want to turn there just a, a moment here. In 1 Timothy, who was a very wonderful minister of God, Paul's apprentice, so to speak. In other words, Paul was his mentor. It's not God's will for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. In 1 Timothy 2, first of all then, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. God loves everyone, even the wicked. He hates their wickedness and hates their sin, but he loves them. For kings, we should be praying for kings and all who are in authority, not talking about them all the time and, uh, you know, bashing them, which really does no good at all. It's a waste of words. First of all, then I urge that supplications and prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life, peaceable life, in all godliness and honor or dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who, who desires all men to be saved. Maybe I should repeat that who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire. And the Holy Spirit is drawing all men to Christ. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. So everybody is being drawn by the Holy Spirit to God and to Christ. But if people reject the witness, the testimony of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ is Lord, they'll be lost forever. They'll go to a Christless grave. And then after that, they'll be in a terrible, terrible place for all eternity. It's called hell. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom. He's your ransom. He's your redeemer. He paid the price for you to get out of jail, so to speak. He paid the price for all your sins to be forgiven. For there is one God and one mediator also between them between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself freely, by the way, as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher, Paul referring to himself, and an apostle, and I am telling the truth. I am not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's go to 2 Peter 3, and actually the whole book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, 2, and 3 is all about prophecy. 
Uh, it's a, an amazing revelation of what's happening in our day. In fact, let's go to 2 Peter 3.1. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. This is the last thing that Peter wrote before he departed to be with the Lord. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. You know, pay attention to God's leaders, the one he's placed to guide, to instruct, to teach the people of God. Verse 3, know this first of all, that in the last days, and that's exactly where we are right now, mockers or scoffers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. Yeah, I guess that pretty much pretty much describes a lot of society today, not all, thank God, where people have thrown away morality and integrity and purity and holiness and exchanged it for immorality. And every kind of bizarre filthy act. Know this first of all that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts and saying where is the promise of his coming for ever since the fathers fell asleep all continues just as it was from the beginning. So these people are totally spiritually blind. And I'm going to drop down to verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. That's a prophetic key right there. A thousand years is as one day. And one day is as a thousand years. That's how God counts time. He doesn't live in the realm of time. He lives outside of time. But he does. Uh, he can interject himself into time anytime he wants. I'm going to read it again. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. Well, let me just say this. You know, the parable about the Good Samaritan, where the man was beaten by thieves who took everything he had, beat him up, he was bloody, he was uh, unconscious, actually, on the side of a road, and then you have, you know, a Pharisee, a religious type person, and a, another religious person, uh, a couple of religious people passing by. But the Good Samaritan, who was not religious, saw the man battered and broken and, uh, you know, robbed and put him on his, his colt and led him to an inn and paid the innkeeper to help to this man to recover, be restored. 
And he said in that parable, and I don't have time to go there, but he said, I'm paying you for two days, complete payment for this man. It's restoration. But if he owes any more, when I return or when I come, I will pay his full debt. The Good Samaritan was a picture of Jesus' day, was a picture of Jesus Christ. The Good Samaritan who bandages up our wounds, heals our brokenness, restores what was stolen from us. Jesus Christ is the Good Samaritan. But he told the innkeeper, I'm giving you enough for two days. And, on, and when I return, if he owes any more, I'll pay the rest of his debt. I believe that's talking about 2,000 years. It's been about 2,000 years since Jesus Christ went to Calvary, died, was buried, and raised from the dead. And he said he would return. He said it. And so did every prophet who ever prophesied in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Jesus Christ is coming, friend. The time, the prophetic time clock is ticking. He'll come back on the appointed day, just like when he came the first time. He came back at the appointed time. He won't miss a second when he comes back the second time, at the appointed time, at the set time. He's coming back for those that are his. And he's coming back as a judge as well. He'll come back for the church as the marvelous, glorious, manifested Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. But for the world who have rejected Christ, he's coming back as their judge. You can either go and be at the judgment seat of Christ where all the family of God will be receiving rewards. It's the Bema seat, the seat of rewards. Or you can be at the great white throne judgment being judged according to your works. It's not going to go good for anybody at the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20 when people are judged according to their works. Because no man can be justified or made righteous before God based on his works. It's only by faith in Jesus Christ and faith in his finished work. You see, Jesus did all the work you will ever need to be saved and to receive eternal life. He died in your place with your sin he was condemned in the flesh with your sin and my sin. But he was raised again in the spirit to justify us or forgive us, to clear us of all guilt and declare us righteous. This is what it says in Romans 4. This is so important for you to see this about what Jesus has done for you. He's given you the greatest gift, eternal life. 
Life without end. Life without limits. It's an indestructible life. You'll never get old. You'll never get sick. You'll never not have enough. He'll be our all in all, our all sufficient one, our more than enough for eternity. And, you know, Paul puts it this way. I love it, how he, how he says it in Romans chapter 4. Verse 25, he who was delivered up because of our transgressions. He was delivered up in your place, bearing your sin. He himself bore our sin in his own body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his stripes, the stripes on his back, you were healed. I tell you, David had a hold of it, even in the Old Testament in Psalm 103. Maybe we'll get to there. He who was delivered over or delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Justification is a big word. That means to clear of all guilt and declare righteous. He was delivered up in your place with your sin. Let's go back to Peter. 1 Peter 4. You've got to see this. These are all prophecies that actually happened. They actually came to pass and they happened. In 1 Peter 3, hold on for a minute. In 1 Peter 3, Let's start in verse 12, 1 Peter 3, 12. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. If you're in Christ, that's what you are, the righteous. And his ears attend to their prayer. God hears your prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So literally, if you're doing evil, you're fighting against God. You won't win. He will always win over evil. And he wants you to be delivered from evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, there's a lot of persecution going on of Christians today in many, many countries of the world. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Why? Because the Lord's on your side. If God is for us, who can be against us? Everybody coming against the church is going to lose. Guaranteed. But sanctify Christ as Lord, or in other words, set him apart. Sanctify Christ as Lord, set him apart in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks of you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, or godly fear. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it, so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins. Oh, wow, look at this one. 
Verse 18, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He did it for you, friend, and he did it for me. He died with our sin in our place. And, uh, you know, here's another prophecy. We're talking about prophecy today, and I'm just being led by the Holy Spirit, giving you what the Spirit of God is leading me here to give you. In Isaiah 43, the great redemption chapter, you ought to read it sometime. Uh, this, this book of Isaiah was written 750 years before Christ came the first time. And yet, Isaiah describes his death in great detail here. Isaiah 53, 1, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot. Talking about Jesus. And like a root out of parched ground, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. You know, you see all these pictures of Jesus, and you know, he, he looks like he just came out of the beauty parlor, but that's not the way Jesus really looked. Verse 3, he was despised and forsaken of men. Yeah, that was Jesus the suffering Jesus. Now he's the glorified Jesus, and we're going to get to that in the book of Revelation. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Yeah, our sorrows and our griefs. And in fact, in the, in the Hebrew language, he was despised and forsaken of men, I'm sorry, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That word sorrows in the Hebrew is pains and acquainted with grief in Hebrew is sicknesses. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. He was the, the rock that was the stone that was rejected by the builders, but which became the head of the corner or the chief cornerstone. Surely our sicknesses he himself bore I'm reading you Hebrew now. Surely our sicknesses he himself bore and our pains he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded. Oh, here's the good news. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our lawlessness. The chastening for our peace was upon him. He was chastened with a cat of nine tails for our peace, that we might have peace with God. And by his scourging, we are healed. By the stripes on his back, he healed us. He took the stripes in our place. He bore our sin in his own body on the cross so that we would never have to bear the penalty and the consequences of our sin for all eternity. 
All of us like sheep have gone astray. Can you acknowledge that truth? All of us. All of us like sheep have gone astray. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God or fall short. Have you fallen short of the glory of God? We all have it one time or another, but we can be restored back into fellowship and relationship with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Through our faith in the shed blood, our sins can be washed away and we can be justified or made righteous just as if we've never sinned before God. It's a gift, people. It's the gift of eternal life. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity or the lawlessness or the rebellion of us all to fall on him. That's how much God loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. We're talking about prophecy 750 years before Christ died on Calvary's cross, on Mount Moriah, which was Mount Zion. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, he died in our place. For the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. God is loving, but God is just. His grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death. Joseph of Arimathea put him in his tomb. He was a righteous man who was wealthy. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased, verse 10, to crush him, putting him to grief. Literally in the Hebrew, he made him sick. Sin will make you sick. If he would render himself a guilt offering, he bore our sins, our sickness, and our guilt. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, our soul can be made well and restored. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it, God will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify or make righteous the many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. He was greatly exalted. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of God, and now he is greatly exalted, and his name is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the, the booty, the spoil, with the strong, that's us, who have received him, because he poured out himself to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many, 
You really bore everyone's sins, but not everybody's going to receive it. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. This is a prophetic passage, the entire scripture about Jesus Christ died on the cross as our substitute, paying the full price of our sins so we could be free from the slave market of sin and from the domain of darkness, being under Satan's dominion, and we could be transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son in whom we have redemption, total freedom from sin, sickness, poverty, and spiritual death, which is separation from God. Thank you for being with us today. May God open your eyes and your heart to see the truth of God's Word, His love, His compassion for you, His everlasting love. We'll see you next time. Have a great week. Bye-bye.